Welcome inside the Legends Lounge, where baseball VIPs are hanging out and talking about their life in the game. Lounge open, lounge loud. Do you hear my decibel level at a higher mark than usual right now, O? Because Swishalicious is coming through and he brings it. (laughs) There's no doubt about it. Nick Swisher is going to be a lot of fun, man, because uh, you know him even better than I do. And and he is uh, he's excitement personified. I would say he's made for TV and (laughs) you'll get even more of my drift when you hear not just about his life and what he's doing now, which includes television. But also he is not even close to the most famous human in his household. And he'll be the first person to tell you that which I know we're both excited to ask him about as well. So without any further ado, you know this one's going to take up some time and it is going to be gold. Nick Swisher in the lounge. Okay, this is a 12-year big leaguer, former All-Star, 09 World Series champ with the Yankees friend of mine who I always love seeing at big MLB events. Also, here's the thing, burst of energy that I very much appreciate because as a broadcaster, you've got to bring it every day. And these are three broadcasters that are on for this pod, right? Our guest always with a smile. And I would say it helps when the guy you're interviewing supplies a lot of the boost for you because it's tough to be smiling and act like the best day is the day of today so nick swisher in the lounge switch you know what i'm saying man like it helps i get the the energy boost from just saying hello to you i got you you, man boys i'm here here to give you some juice here to give you a little excitement today boys thanks for having me on man happy to be here i tell you what man uh, kind of piggybacking on scotty b had to say it is is interesting man because covering the tampa bay rays over here there's a kid that does not fit in your category offensively uh and and that's you know just reality but the kid brett phillips jr reminds me of you as far as the enthusiasm the love of the game representing the game on and off the field and love of life and where did that come from you and what you know what is it about because you're effervescent man and in a good way no, no doubt. I mean, listen, you know, Brett Phillips is killing it right now, right? I mean, the, the fact that what he's doing here in Tampa uh, has been absolutely cool to see. I mean, my wife and I, were down here full time, uh, so we definitely get a lot of the news, the whole nine. But, you know, the way he approaches the game, bro, I could not be more uh, excited about somebody like that. Those are the players we need in this game nowadays to bring our game back to where it needs to be, right? A little more exciting, a little more fun, uh, you know, not, not as uh, as buttoned up, right? You know, Brett's going to go out there. He's going to talk to everybody. He's going to have as much fun as he can each and every day. And you've got to appreciate the way that man goes about his business. But for someone like me, listen, I, I guess at the end of the day, I got to thank the good Lord above, right? I mean, he gave me a passion for something in life, uh, and it just happened to be the game of baseball. So... For myself, man, listen, I'm a, I, I, I'm a girl dad. I've got two daughters now. <laughs> and you know, if anybody's got kids out there listening, man, you know that you cannot tell your kids what to do. They are their own people. They're going to do whatever they want to do in life. And so for someone like me, man, all I try to tell them is we've only got two rules in the house, right? Be kind, work hard, and have a passion, right? You got to have a passion for something in life. And for someone like me, I was so blessed to be able to have that because when you have a passion, No one needs to tell you to practice. No one needs you to tell you to work harder. 
No one needs to tell you to bring more energy because you're doing it each and every day. And everybody knows that as a baseball player, you're playing 162 games in 183 days. I mean, it's 10 months worth of work, right, during the year. And for someone like me, man, to be able to have that sort of passion for it, bro, I could have played this thing 365 days a year if you let me. <laughs> you know what I mean? So to be able to uh, kind of be on this side of the game, uh, it's been great, man. Trying to help young players in our system here with the Yankees uh, really kind of reach those goals and dreams has been a blast. But I really do. I mean, I, I got to thank the big man upstairs, right, for giving me that passion because it was easy to wake up every day and go to the ballpark because you knew how fortunate and blessed that you were. Quickly, I want to add, but this was this is a game of, of failure, though, especially for hitters, you know, for us former hitters. But you kept you kept the positive attitude. And, and I want to, you know, kind of teach that and preach that to a lot of kids, maybe or coaches that might be listening, uh, parents, whomever, guardians, that uh, even though it's a game of failure, uh, you could still keep the positive attitude. Yeah, 100%. I mean, at the end of the day, I'm a silver linings guy, right? I mean, like, you know, I always try to find the positives in things. Uh, you know, listen, man, I, you get your ass kicked playing baseball, man. It's, sometimes <laughs> it's not fun, right? Sometimes you are overmatched. Uh, sometimes there's just guys that are way more talented than you. But that doesn't mean that my will and my passion and my fight went anywhere. It was always there. Listen, I've always kind of had... Uh, 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 my wife would say it's a bigger chip than what I say it is, <laughs> but I always had that chip on my shoulder because I was always trying to prove myself to somebody. I was one of those kids and I wasn't blessed with great size. I'm 5'10", 190 pounds right now. And so to be able to have that sort of fight and that claw and in today's kind of verbiage, that dog in me, you know, I've always kind of been that guy because I never wanted someone to have the upper hand on me. And I always appreciated the competition because there was always a winner and a loser. And so for myself to be able to kind of get dominated a little bit early in life to understand what that feeling of losing was like, I knew I didn't want that feeling anymore. And I think that's what drove me to be the player that I was because I knew what that feeling felt like as a young kid. And so I knew that if I didn't want to have to have that feeling again, I was going to have to work my ass to the bone to be able to try and compete with some of these great athletes in the world. And so for myself, I think I was lucky. I think I was blessed. I might've been the right man at the right time. Uh, but at the end of the day, man, to be able to do it for 12 years, I mean, I could not be more blessed. Uh, and could not be more happy to uh, have been able to do something like that. I know you appreciate every second of it. And I, I want to go back to the Brett Phillips drop just for a moment, because it gets me thinking, Swish, with your work with the Yanks, with your broadcasting life, is there a way to produce more entertaining personalities within a sport? Like, is there, I almost think of how public relations teams will go over things with players. I'm sure it was, I'm sure there was a time in your life, right. Where a PR team, maybe multiple times spoke to the whole team and said, Hey, here's how certain things should be done. I almost wonder if there should be, you know, swishalicious coaching coming in and going, Hey, oh and here's how you create a fun interview and an eccentric personality and make people light up when you enter the room so that you can be a great representative of the game and for yourself. Well, I appreciate you saying that, Scotty. Uh, I don't know. I do know one thing. As being on the media side of the game, you're, you've got everybody under a microscope. And I think in today's world, you know, athletes understand that. And so they're a little more guarded, right? They don't really want to give you uh, the, the full self, right? They don't want to put themselves out there because the fear of, you know, somebody taking it the wrong way or maybe not coming off as genuine, right? Like, I understand that. I'm, 
bro, there ain't nothing to hide from me, bro. So maybe that's what it is. You know, it's just like, I am who I am. I've always been this way. I've never tried to hide my personality. Uh, there for the longest time, it was almost like people called me fake for a while because they didn't know if this sort of, uh, I guess people called it an act at the beginning. Uh, but now, you know, being part of Major League Baseball for 20 plus years, you know, now people are like, holy shit, this guy, is this exactly who this guy is? <laughs> this is who he is. <laughs> so for myself, man, like, I, I guess at the end of the day, you know, I, I always talk about being consistent, right? Being consistent in who you are. And for myself, I was able and, and blessed enough to whether it was be confident enough in myself to be comfortable in my own skin each and every day. I, I, I'm not quite sure it was. Maybe I was, I mean, I'm, I'm 41 years old, bro. And I still think I'm a little kid. So I, I guess, you know, I, I've always kind of taken that approach. Um, Brad Fisher, uh, one of my early first base coaches with the Oakland Athletics told me, uh, Swish, as long as you keep that jersey on, you have a lifetime pass to be a kid as long as you want. And so for myself, I took that jersey off in 2016, but Brian Cashman brought me back as a special advisor in 17. And so I didn't keep that thing off for very long. I was only an adult for a hot four or five months. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then I went back to being a kid again. Um, but you're right. I mean, I, I definitely think there needs to be a little more excitement in our game. Um, you know, I, I think if you look at the other scopes of the other sports, basketball players and NFL players, you know, those guys aren't scared to show who they are, right? They, I mean, they're not scared to show you the, the, even the social side of everything. And, and I'm down for that. I think sometimes in baseball, we can kind of get guarded a little bit. Uh, but I definitely think that's where we need to be. We need to be able to bring ourselves out of there put our best players at the front, put some of our great personalities. I love, you know, the Sunday night baseball, miking up the players. And now the players are starting to kind of, you know, challenge each other. But I just see what, you know, Major League Baseball is doing, even with the Home Run Derby X that we're doing this summer. We're trying to grow the game. We're trying to make it uh, a little more exciting, uh, bring it to maybe fans that don't normally watch our game. Um, because I don't think there's any, you know, uh, secret in the fact that we don't have as many fans watching our game as we used to. So we need to do our best as ex-players, you know, parts of the media, you know, front office, you know, commissioner's office, Major League Baseball. We need to do our best to try and get this game back in the limelight again. We've, you know, the CBA and, and, and you know, most normal people can't understand what hundreds of millions of dollars are like. It doesn't even make sense to them. So when they start seeing all those huge numbers fly across the screen every day and read them in the paper, the word greed probably comes to mind. And that's the last thing that we want to be known for. We just want to be people that are going out there, earning a wage for their families and having an absolute blast doing it. So I definitely think we have our work cut out for us a little bit. Um, but you know, if I have anything to say about it, bro, you, know, you never know. Maybe I might end up in the commissioner's office one of these days. Uh -oh. you, you never know. You, you know? heard so, it here first. That's it. So, you know, for myself, I, I just think I'm, I've been so blessed, uh, you know, by, and so many people have helped me out along the way. Um, if you don't have that village of great people around you, uh, it, it's hard to make it in this sport because like you said, oh, I mean, it is based on a lot of negativity. I'll tell you what, one of the things that I, I appreciate about your career on top of that too, uh, you jumped from team to team. You had, you know, you had success and you won championships. Um, but one of the things that are consistent you were as far as a run producer, I'm big with run production. You know, you had over almost, you know, 900 RBIs at 245 home runs. Um, but you were a clutch performer. I think one of the reasons that probably the Yankees brought you back is some of the, you know, the good years and the things you did, even though it was a short tenure with them, you made massive impact. 
uh, and with the young kids. Where do you see it? What do you see the game right now for some of those great young producers, of which the Yankees have quite a few? Yes, I, I, I definitely think uh, right now, I think we're in the process of trying to get our game a little more exciting. Uh, we're trying a lot of new rules in the minor leagues, right? You know, uh, even thinking about making the bases a little bigger, you know, moving second base up, you know, trying to get more athletic players involved in our game. Even some of the new rules talking about, you know, where outfielders can only play at a certain depth. If that's the case, then we're going to have to bring in more athletic players. The big home run hitter that can't do anything on the defensive end will lose a lot of value. So I think for myself, bringing back the stolen bases, the doubles, the triples, you know, I mean, we're working, you know, we're working our athletes here like, you know, track stars, right? Like we're trying to make these kids bigger, faster, stronger, just like we always have. But the great part about everything that's happened over the last five, six, seven years is the metrics and the analytics, right? Mm -hmm. Some people look at that in a new school sort of, I guess, silo, right? Like there's a difference between new school and old school people. That means absolutely nothing to me. You're either a baseball <laughs> fan or you're not. The thing that I've noticed since being part of the organization, since all this stuff has happened is now as a young athlete, I can find out where my deficiencies are. I can find out where I struggle the most. I can find out going into the playoffs, swish, they're going to throw you 80% off speed. Don't look for the fastball, right? So it's like understanding that there's so much knowledge out there that I think people look at the analytics and they look back at the Blake Snell in the World Series, right? And the third time around the road, you know, the, the lineup, then we got to pull him out. Like that was one instance, right? There's so many good things that happened with analytics that I think catches a little bit of a bad rap. I mean, listen, it's hard to argue with numbers, especially in a number-driven game. But I definitely think what we're trying to do here is we're trying to make our players a little more athletic, a little more dynamic, and being able to do everything you need them to do. We got them throwing plyos. We got them doing speed training. We've got them doing power training. I mean, it's like at the end of the day, we are trying to create machines over here. And now that we have that analytical side of things, even with all the slow motion capturing, we can find those deficiencies and clean those things up at early ages for young kids. So by the time they get to the big leagues, they're ready to rock and roll. And your glass half full, guys, Swish, here's one of my favorite parts of including, especially like, say, stat cast metrics into the way that you coach Ball players. I was going to say young, but not even just young ball players. Any ball players, because I actually even think about someone like Paul Goldschmidt in 2021, beginning of the season. He is smoking the crap out of the ball, and if you watch him on a daily basis, you see that. But you can, you know, this legitimately be unlucky for a stretch of time where you just smoke a ball and it keeps going to deep center field or whatever where a guy is. You can't completely control, of course, where the baseball is going. So. When guys have struggled in the past, sometimes they don't have stat cast metrics that say, wait, no, you're hitting the ball as hard as you ever have. You're making barrel contact, like all of the things that you want to do to succeed. It's just not falling for you. Don't change because sometimes a player will struggle for a little bit results wise and start to tweak or change or it gets to the head or all three. What I've seen now, especially in the bigs, and of course, from the, the star players, it, it gives them even more because they've had the success in the past. It might be more difficult for a player that hasn't seen it yet, the success. But my point is someone like you that embraces all sides and all facets of the game can go to a player and go, wait, 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 you are elite percentile in X, Y, and Z statistics. Okay. Right now. 
So don't change a damn thing. And I don't want to guarantee, but I can almost guarantee you that over a, a larger sample size, it's going to come together. So please don't, you know, because obviously players love to tweak things, right, Swish? But sometimes <laughs> it's like, wait, please don't change a thing. The results are there. You can also point to if the results aren't there and look at things. But you know what I'm saying? That's a great glass half full statistic and storyline that you can use with ball players to say, hey, keep it up. We now have numbers to say you've been legit unlucky. Yeah, well, of course. And also, Scotty, the way these guys have learned coming up, you know, my 18, 19, 20, 20, 21-year-old guys here, that's all they know. That's the only thing they've been taught is the metric way. So at the end of the day, it's like, okay, if that's how you learn best, then I need to be able to coach you the best I can. And even on the big league side of things, right, you know, sometimes there could be a little bit uh, of, of a push away, right, because the numbers seem like there's so many of them. But that's where the analytical side of it comes into play, because if you know what to use and you know what numbers will help make you a better player, that's what the metrics are for. All the metrics all together aren't going to help anything. You as an individual need to know what metrics work best for you, because now even on the scouting side of things, I think what has helped a lot is that even for myself, learning from our scouting department here and Damon Oppenheimer, who's one of the best in the game in my mind. But now I can look at my computer right here and I can look at all of our metrics and all of our stats and I can tell you exactly what type of hitter this kid is without even watching his at bats. That is a pretty powerful thing. And then you send our scouts off to go watch these individuals and then they reconfirm everything that you've already seen metric wise. Now we're ready to rock and roll. And then once we get you on campus, baby, now it's time to rock and roll because if you show up here to work every single day with a blue collar, bring your lunch pail mentality. We can show you exactly what you need to do to get better each and every day. Because one of my biggest flaws I thought as a young athlete was I had the work ethic, but I didn't have the smarts. I didn't know how to work smarter, not harder. Back in the day, it was like, yo, take 8 million swings and you'll get better. Okay, cool. You need me to take 8 million? I'll take 8 million in one just because I wanted to be better than everybody else. But nowadays, be like, yo, swish, man, your backside's dropping a little too much, right? Like front right. side flying, that's practicing better. With all the, all the things that young players have, even all the apparatus now that people have with, uh, you know, everything from, you know, the flight scope and track man and all this sort of stuff, you can get that information so fast. Even for pitchers, thinking about this, if I was a pitcher and I'm in my bullpen and I'm throwing, all of a sudden my breaking ball doesn't look like it's moving as much. And I'm like, well, what's happening? My pitching coach could be like, yo, swish, bro, look at your hand right here. Your hands, you know, it, it needs to turn a quarter more than what you have it to create that spin you're looking for. So everything with spin rates, the whole nine. Listen, like I still have an old school heart, I guess, if that's what you're going to say, if we're going to put put things in silos with a new school mind, right? I have an open mindset about all this new stuff that has come into play because I've been educated. I've been educated by some of the smartest people in the game and they have taught me how this stuff works. I think sometimes when you give this sort of information to people that maybe don't have as much education behind it as well on the baseball side of things, it comes off as like, whoa, that's too much. That's too different. And you know, people don't like change, which is crazy. Change happens all the time and it's going to continue to keep happening. So if you want to be part of this game moving forward, keep an open mind because we're going to do our best to try and bring the best players and the best sort of coaching techniques to the table each and every year. Oh, how are you feeling with all this? Oh, you, you know, 
Uh, yeah, you know, I, I, again, I'm going to have a little counter because I'm older <laughs> than Swish and, and finished, you know. But Swish is a, is a perfect guy because he came in before it all came in. Then he played through it. He's recently retired and back in the game after one year of adulthood, as he said. <laughs> Not even. Four months, and, okay? And, Don't know, push yeah, it. Yeah, a few months. <laughs> Just, you know, what adult? What's that? And he's back in it. But on a serious note, can it be too much? When is it too much? Uh, because, you know, the, the information, and maybe I'm thinking more in the amateur realms. When you turn pro, you should know that be ready for what's going on at that particular time, as I was in the early 80s and playing through the 90s, and sure. as you were in the 90s playing through the 2000s. Sure. What was there was what I needed to do in order to eventually succeed. I get it. But can it be too much, especially? with travel ball and launch angle at 11. Oh, yeah. oh, oh, oh. And, Can it be too much and overwhelm a kid or a yes. pro? My answer to that would be absolutely, bro. Amateur Amen. kids, 12, 13, have no idea what they're looking at. But, but they're taught it. Yes, that's just what they're taught. So if you don't have a great coach teaching you all this good stuff, you might have a different look on it than how I view it, right? So what I'm, what I'm thinking to myself is now – at the professional level, I know my guys. I know my guys' personalities. I know what my guys are good at. I know what my guys are bad at. That is who it is for. Those guys understand mm -hmm. what needs to help. So for me, I mean, bro, you, if you were 12 years old trying to tell me I need to work on my launch angle, I would have been like, bro, I'm just having a fun playing the game. Like, <laughs> hey, I just love the game. Like you're trying to break it down way too much. By the way, 12 years old, no offense, but you ain't even hit puberty, bro. You don't even know what you're going to look like moving <laughs> forward, you know? So I think when you try to box people in early in life, like you got to let the kids play. If I tell you how to do it, how are you going to remember it? It's not your feeling. It's my feeling. So at the end of the day, when I coach players, I coach them for their feeling. What makes them fit what I need them to do? So at the end of the day, when you're struggling, oh, and, and, and your feeling is, okay, man, I need to keep my back elbow up a little more. It may not be up, but in your mind it is. And that gets you to where you need to be. So even little things like that, I mean, sometimes it's hard to break in metrics to somebody who's 17, 18, 19 years old coming over from the Dominican, bro. It, they may not know all this stuff. So you need to know your guys. And that's what I would say. It, it, you know, it's kind of one of in my mind, I feel like it's a gift in a sense is I have a great, you know, relationship with people. Like I understand people. I love being around people. I love working with people. And I think that's why I've always thrived in team settings it's because I understand what that's all about. I know you're counting on me and I'm counting on you, right? I know how to do this. And so I think that's kind of the biggest thing moving forward. Dylan Lawson is one of, in my mind, you know, brand new hitting coach for us with the Yankees just came up from our player development side. But, bro, already making an impact, already bringing things to our hitters' attention that they may not have known about in the, in, in the past. And at the end of the day, oh, I'm with you, though. You got to be careful on the information you're giving guys because sometimes it can be a little too much. Sometimes you can get guys thinking in the box. And you know that ain't good for anybody when that's happening, though. Done. Everything in moderation, oh, including <laughs> talk on this my topic stats, because my, my saber metric guy, Scotty B. Yeah. So, well, I had to because so, I have swish. So you know, 22. We, we speak to many players that, you know, they're. 
their best days were in the 70s or 80s or whatever. So these conversations don't go there. So when I can sneak in five minutes to <laughs> blend. No, this is perfect. Talk. Swish is perfect. He's, he's I'm, I'm going to do it. Case. Uh, yeah, I know case. Swish. You know, I also know this because I, I do want to uncover a few more shades of Nick Swisher's career and life, even aside from baseball. First off, you're, I mean, I, I think you'd probably be the first one to say this, not the most famous human being in your household, correct? <laughs> <laughs> Hello. Couldn't be Hello, more buddy. true, bro. Oh my! Hey, Sweet Magnolias for life, y'all. Season three just got picked up. We're gonna go to Atlanta in July. Joe's filming. Yes, oh great show. The first two seasons have been fantastic, dude. Number one in the world, bro. Number one in the world on Netflix platform for like three weeks, bro. I mean, I I could not be more proud of my wife. I could not be more proud of Joe. She has absolutely done, dude. And she is by far the most humble. Like gratitude is like up and down all day, her. And it's so amazing to see somebody who is having such success, but does it with such class and grace. And she's right on my arm, bro. I don't know how I got this lucky dog. I have no idea. But at the end of the day, I could not be more proud of that woman. I've asked other people, and I don't know how it happened. I'm still trying to. Hey, that's right. The cast, the crew. (laughs) So she has. She has. Kids, Everybody right? on set has, been amazing. Oh, she has two girls and a boy, and you? Yes, it two girls and a boy. <laughs> <laughs> You're so right, you. bro. She got three kids. Two she had, one she married, bro. <laughs> <laughs> She's a superstar. Oh, you know, you watch, right? Oh, I love, man, dude, I've been a fan of hers since Reba, because uh, her, her with a football player, Husband, that was oh yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Steve Howie, bro. Oh, Steve, oh man, Austin, they were so amazing. good together that yes, it almost sir. made the show Come sometimes. On, I can't, I can't wait to show Joe. You be watching that show, bro. I, I rewatch wait. it all the time. Whenever it's on, I'm glued to it, man. One of the reruns that I do, like, oh, Reba's back on. Oh man, there's Joanne. She's hilarious, and the dude is so, plays the doofus so well. I'm sure he's a very smart guy. I don't want to dog. He's him, great, but, dude. He's fantastic. What a great actor. Great show. Been a fan of hers forever. I've told you that before when, I, when I've known you, man. So you, you, you're blessed there in so many ways. And, and I'm sure you guys have to keep the dichotomy of actress, ball player, now, you know, uh, in the front office and coaching. It's got to be difficult uh, raising you know two, two teens. I'm, assu- I'm assuming your girls are how old? Sure. Teenage? No, younger, right? No, yeah, they're young. Yeah, uh, we got two little girls, eight and five right now. Oh, no, they're young uh, kids. But I think one of the coolest things that has happened in our household is the roles have reversed. Uh, and, you know, I mean, come on. Oh, I mean, Scotty, you've been around me. You yep. know, it's like, you know, when you're an athlete, it's all about you, right? Yes, it's sir. all about you making sure you get your sleep, making sure you get to the ballpark on time, making sure, you know, you're, you're eating at the right times, the whole thing. And mama was at home helping me out. Well, guess who's at home now? Me, bro. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Like I'm at home supporting her because she's out chasing her dreams and doing what she needs to do to, to fulfill her and to be able to be her number one support system. Uh, You you never know that's going to happen, but to be able to be in this position, I can tell you, I I could not be more blessed uh, to be in this position, to have that understanding of exactly what it takes to be a support system. Because for your whole life as an athlete, you feel like people are supporting you. You're making sure everybody's in there. But now to be able to be the support system guy, could not Amen. be more happy, man. I could not be more proud of my wife. I could not be more blessed to have her in my life because everything that she's done and everything she's brought to my life has made it better. 
And listen, not everybody can say that, but for someone like me, like, bro, we're 11 years in, bro. And I just think we're getting going, bro. You know what I'm saying? All like, right. We're just getting moving and shaking, you know? You got any softball players there in, the, in those? In those no, but we got, hey, we got a couple horseback riders, though, a couple of questions right. for you, baby. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Good stuff. That's it. Oh, we started playing flag football last weekend. Don't you think I didn't laminate all the plays, bro? I got footballs the whole nine, right? <laughs> yeah, you're going all out. You're like, hey, wait, going, why are there all of a sudden 20 footballs in this year? Exactly. Oh, I just stopped by the store and they just kind of fell in my in my lap oh, yeah. and I brought them home and oh, yeah. figured, you know. <laughs> well, and, and it's not just that, Swish. So also, and especially for this pod, I mean, we're always talking, you know, for players, there's a lot of former players, even current players that are listening that are going, all right, what does life look like after not, I don't want to say baseball, just because you're obviously still involved in the game after my playing days. So also, I mean, a little bit of guest starring on some episodes of what better, better with you with Joe and, and a ch children's music album. That was actually while you were yeah. playing. So yeah. your interests were, you have more interest besides baseball. Obviously that's your number one passion since you were a kid, but how important was it to, for you to have a little bit of uh, versatility and some balance in what you're doing? <laughs> so it's not just all baseball all the time. Like you like other things in life. That's it, man. Also too, you know, I even try and tell a lot of my guys, that now um you gotta have more interest in life right you, you can't just be you know all in one thing right like that's what i think is great about athletes i appreciate athletes that enjoy other things right it's because being a baseball player didn't define me it's not it, it just happened to be my job it just happened to be something that i'm good at and i think it took me a couple months to realize that after i retired uh, probably one of, you know, me guys, I mean, I got juice for days and I'm, you know, and I'm happy in the whole nine, but you know, when I first retired, man, I, I've never, you know, uh, I've never gone through depression. Uh, but that was probably the closest thing that I've ever gone through. Um, I gained 15 pounds. I, I just felt like I, I had no purpose. Uh, I was like, wow, man, like my career's done. No one's going to look at me the same, you know, I'm, um, and then it took, you know, it took a nice swift kick in the ass by my wife to be like, yo, listen, like baseball was what you did. It's not who you are. You're Nick Swisher, right? You're Nick Swisher. We love you for you, not Nick Swisher, the baseball player. We could care less about that guy. We love you for you. And to be able to have someone in your life that could just straight up tell you that um, in my mind is such a blessing. So guess what happened? Popped up off that couch, y'all. Dropped 15 pounds in 10 days. Got myself back, right? You know what I mean? And and got back moving again. But it was such an eye-opening moment um, when you don't have to go to the ballpark every day. Mm. And you're so used to having a routine for, you know, shoot, you know, we show up in February for spring training and we're not coming home till the beginning of November, right? You know, if you're ended up being having a lucky season, when mm. those days change, bro, the routines change. I mean, you, you got to find other things to put in your life. Now, I was lucky enough to be able to have a best friend in my, you know, my girl, Kate, as well as my wife, who helped me plan for retirement, you know, and having an understanding of exactly, you know, what you're going to want to do when, you know, I have my double knee surgeries in 2014. I could have told you that very next day when I woke up it's, it's ending soon. It's going to end mm. soon. And, you know, listen, when you're bone on bone on your knees, trying to be a professional athlete, bro, it just don't play out as well as you would like, you know, <laughs> getting your knees drained three times a week, bro. Looking like a Turkey baster needle going in your kneecaps, bro. Like, 
not exactly the fun that I was Smile used to having that. an 18-year-old kid. You feel me? So listen, you go through so many things in life. I could not be more blessed to be able to have been a professional baseball player and have gone through that life. But listen, I, I'm, I'm, I'm proud that I was able to do that, but I'm on to the next life, right? I'm on to the next move. And I want to try and help athletes, you know, attain the same things that I was able to do. It's so fulfilling to be able to look at a 19 year old kid and be like, yo, these are the things that you're going to go through moving forward. And then catching a phone call a couple of years later and be like, yo, Swish, you remember what you were telling me about? You know what I mean? Or like, you know, whether we were talking about kids or family or like, you know, approaches at the plate. It's so cool because in life, you got to find things that fill your heart. And for myself, being able to give back and help for however much I was helped myself to be able to help and move it, pay it forward, bro, has been the most fulfilling thing that I got going in my life right now. Brother, that is a beautiful message. Uh, it really is. Uh, I applaud you for that. And, and again, we both knew and know you that you have that passion, but every now and then everybody needs a little push after if something happens that knocks you down, whether it's double knee surgery or retirement. What I'm going to ask you something beautiful too. What season is most memorable for you individually or, you know, team-wise? Yeah, so I, I think there were probably, you know, two years that really kind of stand out. It'd be hard not to say that 2009 World Series. Exactly, year, bro, I figured. <laughs> so amazing. And just to be able to be alongside people like Derek Jeter and Mariano Rivera and Andy Pettit and Posada and, you know, my guy Robbie Cano and A-Rod and all these cats, man. A.J. Burnett, C.C., like, bro, the list goes on and on. Like, that was such a um, an emotional year. You know, I went from being traded from the White Sox. 2008 was one of the worst years I've ever had in my life. Statistically, it was a tough year on and off the field. And then to be able to get a phone call from Brian Cashman to say, hey, man, we know that last season is not you. We believe in you. How would you like to be a New York Yankee? Oh, baby, I'm in. Let's do this, bro. Because I'm that type of guy. You give me a hug, bro, I'll run through a brick wall for you. <laughs> it's knowing me. If you know me, you know that you give me a pat on the back. You tell me my hair looks good, bro. Like something like that's good. That fills me up. That's what makes me feel good. So it's about knowing your individuals and knowing how to get the best out of them. So I think for myself, 2009 was a huge year for me to be able to win a World Series and etch yourself into history. I could not have been more blessed to be part of that. And I also think another major year for me uh, was in 2006. Uh, my second year in the big leagues, I had Frank hmm. Thomas. He was my guy, man. He helped me on and off the field. He helped me learn so much. I bet you if we, I think I played 158 games that year. I bet you we early hit on the field 100, 100 of those days for wow. sure. Because Frank's work was all, his talk was all about doing the work, putting the work in every single day. And, you know, hey, if it's all about putting work in, bro, it's right up my alley, man. I'm definitely able to do something like that. So I think those two years were humongous. And I can also say, as sad as it was my last year, and that would have been 2016 when I was fighting to get back to the big leagues. And I ended up spending, you know, half the season in AAA with the baby bombers, right? Guys like Aaron Judd, Gary Sanchez, you know, like these young guys that I was able to be that major leader in the locker room uh, to help these guys progress forward a little bit. And I mean, listen, 
I'm not saying I'm the one that did that, but man, when these guys came up to the big league, brother, they were ready to go. And it's been a lot of fun to watch all those guys play since. That's awesome. And I've spoken about that. I remember when that was all going down and I was like, Hey, there, there's a guy you might know. His name's Nick Swisher. He's playing with all those future superstars and making a yes. big impact and probably buying some dinners too. And then they're going to buy some dinners back eventually, if you know what I'm saying. Well, like but, you said, man, you, you, you try and leave it better than when you came, right? Yep. Leave it better than when you found it. And you know, it's what I try to do with the game. It's what I try to do even for myself here as being, you know, a special advisor with the Yankees. Like, just want to help, man, because I want to bring back another championship to the Bronx, baby. It's been a minute and we got to bring one of these back, you know? It's coming. And oh, before you drop your big question at the end, this do it. Be. I've been meaning to ask you this. And and this is a random ass question, okay? But I'm gonna take you back. 2012, you sign uh, or at least agreed with with Cleveland and a nice contract everyone can google it and look it up and so back then i was working for mlb i mean still i was working for mlb network but earlier years for me and we and we had less programming and all that so i was actually we had we were like doctors we would be on call so it was it was december 23rd day before christmas eve and i remember i'm on call and i'm explaining to some of my friends and and i'm in my 20s and i'm explaining to friends how i'm on call and they're like kind of joking about it and we sit down for a brunch Um, i think it was on a saturday uh, whenever it was, we, we sit down and we were off. So we sit down and, and we're eating and I'm probably about, you know, 20 minutes in where we, we just ordered the food. It just came. I'm one bite in and I get a call. Nick Swisher just agreed to a deal with Cleveland. <laughs> and my producer's like, yeah, we got to be within whatever, 30 minutes or something like we need you in. And I told my friends, I, I dropped the phone and I go, told you, Nick Swisher. <laughs> so uh, I've, I've always wanted to tell you that, number one, because th- there haven't been many moments where I was on call and I could be with friends and be like, I know I'm not a doctor and my my shit's not as important, but guess what? I got to go and tell the world that Nick Swisher is going to be with Cleveland for the next four years. So with that, my, my big question on that was, cause I know it was right around Christmas time. Was there ever, I'm not sure if you've ever been asked anything about this, but was there ever, ever anything to, Hey, Christmas is coming up. I got something pretty good looking coming at me. Like let's get this done and have an absolute Christmas bonanza. Oh, bro. It was epic, dude. Like, listen, you know, um, you know, 2012, you know, ended kind of my run with the Yankees at the time. You know, at that point, I think the Yankees were still trying to get under the threshold that year. It was at 189, I think, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just remember talking to Cash in the offseason and he was like, man, I, I, we don't even have, an, have enough money to get in the game. And it was a little disappointing at the time, but it was a great conversation because it was like, OK, you know, maybe you can you know, almost close that chapter in a little bit in, in, in a sense, but and start looking for other teams. Right. Because everybody knew I wanted to come back and play for the Yankees. It just wasn't going to be possible for me. So guess what else happened? I came home to O-H-I-O, baby. <laughs> we had Bad Mata. We had Urban Meyer. Come on, Jim Tressel. These dudes were sending me messages all over the place telling me to get your ass back to Ohio. We need you. And you know what? Listen, I know it didn't last as long as I would have liked, but you know, 2013, my first year, we went to the playoffs. You know, we played the Rays in that uh, in the wild card game. Uh, and that kind of really started the resurrection of the organization. And then the next thing you know, they're playing in the World Series and like, wow. So to be able to come home and, you know, as well as Tito coming over there, you know, Michael Bourne was in that that draft uh, that year, uh, came over and signed. But 
Man, listen, you're right, bro. Like, that was so amazing. Merry Swishmas, bro. <laughs> That's what I said when I was at, at MLB. When I went back, I go, oh, I'd love to, because it was the 23rd when we were reporting it, and I was like, I would love to see what, what the Nick Swisher Christmas looks like for this one, right? Like, it's just cool. Like, hey, I'm back in Ohio. I signed a nice deal. Like, let's pop some awesome. good, good champagne. You know, like, that oh, is Oh, baby, the best, bro. That night, the best, bro. <laughs> Brother. Uh, I, again, this has been the full Monty, man. You're giving us everything. All right. And I prepped you a little bit beforehand about no way. Jose got a chance now to talk on the field, off the field, something zany, something goofy. I'm hoping and I'm expecting none but the best for my boy, Nicky. Man, I, you know what? I'm trying to think of some crazy story that I've been a part of that really kind of would catch people off guard. But, you know, I. I mean, listen, I'm trying to think, you know, other than a couple of brawls that I've been in, right? That's on the good. Field, which I think most people know about that. But I can always, it just, it's one of the best stories I got, bro. In 2007, right? Vicente Padilla's on the mound, right? I mean, like, I had just seen, we, I think we just played the White Sox this season, or the, uh, the series before, and I was talking with Jim Tomey. And, you know, Jim Tomey was like, wow, you know, who you guys got coming up? And I'm like, you know, we got Texas coming in. He's like, wow, man, Padilla, bro. Like, you got to be careful, man. That guy's... You know, like that guy's that guy right there. He's kind of scary, you know. So I'm like, okay. So the first couple games of the season, a couple games of the series, I hit a couple home runs. I'm feeling really good about myself. And then somehow we ended up on a Sunday day game. And the first pitch out of Padilla's hand was 98 right at my ribs. Well, I kind of jump out of the way a little bit, kind of, and I kind of give a little stare out there, like, bro, what, what, what are you trying to do right there? Are you trying to hit me? Because we got Rich Harden's pitching for us at the time, and he throws 102, right? So I'm like, okay, if you're going to hit me, definitely going to hit them. So what do you do if you think somebody's going to hit you? The next pitch, you curl up, right? You know what I'm saying? Right. Like, please hit me in the back. It won't nearly hurt as much, right? Next thing you know, he throws a strike away, fastball away, strike one. So I'm thinking to myself, like, okay, maybe that first pitch kind of slipped a little bit. Okay, all right, let's get back in there again. Here we go. Right, I'm feeling good, bro. It looks like a beach ball to me coming in. Like, I'm like, okay, here we go. Next pitch, <laughs> woo, 99 in off my ribs, just barely missed me. So at this point, now I'm pissed because I'm like, bro, the anticipation is killing me. I know this is going to hurt so much. Just hit me, get it over with, let's do it. So I curl up for the next two pitches, throws a fastball away, fastball away. So now it's 3-2. So now I'm all messed up because I have no idea. Is he messing with me? Is he just trying to get me back off the plate so he can go to his fastball away? What's he doing? So 3-2, I dig in, bro, and he hits me right in the ribs with 98, and I lost my shit, dude. I had no idea what to do. By the way, kids at home, if anybody's listening, when you're charging the mound, don't take your helmet off, bro. It's the dumbest thing ever. <laughs> it looks super cool, but it doesn't help a thing. Right? Amen. <laughs> Next thing you know, I rip my helmet off. I'm flying like a madman. I felt like um, – like the guy in uh, Happy Gilmore, you know, he's running down the fairway. You know what I'm saying? That's exactly what I felt like. I'm like, bro. So then all of a sudden you get to about, you know, five, 10 feet away. Like, you know, bro, like it's about to be a full-fledged brawl. Like, what am I supposed to do? When I get about five feet away from this dude, I look down and each one of his legs looked like a sequoia tree trunk. And I'm like, bro, he didn't look this big 60 feet ago. You know what I mean? Like, holy shit, this guy's a monster, dude. So all I'm thinking to myself is like, bro, just tackle him, get on top of him, bro, and then and, and, and we'll, we'll scruff him up a little bit, bro. That was my plan. Yeah, right, bro. I hit <laughs> one of his legs, 
dude, he didn't even budge. He was like, bro, what hit me? Like a little gnat or something, right? So next thing you know, I'm spinning around. I'm holding on to both his legs on the ground, looking up at him. And he's just got this right hand cocked back. And I'm like, oh, bro, this is it, man. This is it. It's been a great life. 25 years old, bro. I'm gonna, <laughs> it's over. You know, he's just going to like just knock me out in front of everybody. Well, next thing you know, my teammates came to my came to my help a little bit, bro. And I'll never forget that. But I never forgot that. At the end of the day, if you're going to charge the mound, number one, keep your helmet on, right? And number two, you got to keep your head up when you're tackling, right? You got to see what you hit, right? Don't duck your head. I caught a bunch of shit from my high school football coach. It's like, yo, Nick, we told you, you got to see what you can hit. You know what I mean? And at the end of the day, man, like, thank God I got good buddies, dude, because I could have ended up a lot worse, dude. Oh, my god! I just gosh. remember Jared Saltz-Lamacchia was laying on top of me, and both of us were getting stepped on, like, you know what I mean? Like, cleats all over the place. But that was one of those moments in life where I was just like, wow, I hope I don't ever have to do that again. But at the end of the day, that was the last time that I can remember that guys willy-nilly threw at me on purpose. Because when you put something in the back of people's minds that you might come out there, they don't throw at you as often. <laughs> True. But fastball in, fastball on the black outside, fastball in, fastball outside, fastball outside, you get hit. That's the weirdest going after you oh, that bro, I've hey, ever Rick, check, check the replay. Bro. That's exactly what happened, dude. That's, that's exactly wild. what happened. That's messing with you, and that's I'm hitting YouTube right after this. So for oh yeah, bro. Replay. And afterwards, yeah, afterwards, bro, I did my post game interview with my sunglasses on because I had a little shiner on my right <laughs> eye over there, bro. So I felt super. Cool, no bro. way, Jose, to that right there. Yeah, gotta <laughs> be all I can say is that there's Dickie V, the legend in basketball, and God bless him, and we're thinking of him. And then there's Nikki Swee the legend in baseball because both have passion <laughs> galore and uh I, 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 and they're know, from the it. same area too or at living sure. in the same area I, mean, so. I love this guy yeah you uh, feel the energy when you when the when the car hits the uh, tampa sign welcome to tampa you feel it you feel it. you're an 80 grade interview dude for casual fans that's, that's so the best great. grade nothing oh, better you man. guys are fantastic man <laughs> i'm so happy y'all brought me on man it's so good to see you guys bro Anytime I can help, man, please hit me up, bro. I enjoy doing these things. We love Thanks, you, brother. Nikki. We appreciate you. It was, it was an absolute blast. We'll talk to you soon, Swish. All right, <laughs> man. Peace out, y'all. Take it easy, y'all. Yo! Oh, man. I mean, I think that Nick Swisher could sell me on a law firm commercial, and I'd be like, yeah, I'm calling. I'm in. <laughs> Land in Okeechobee. He would he would just, you know, some kind of uh, muddy waters. But I think you'd end up buying a condo there. He's fantastic. The story with, with what we sent to Padilla, the story about his family, his kids, him being like the lesser person in the family now and accepting it. He's just he's wonderful. I, I love that interview. Thank you, Swisher, the man. And in honor of Swish's Vicente Padilla brawl, charge the mound, keep the helmet on, please. Next time story. Let's do a little this week in baseball, what June happened? 16th. Ready for this? Oh, I'm June ready. 16th, farthest we've ever gone back. 1887. Huge wow. brawl. Ninth inning. Browns, Orioles in Baltimore, Maryland. Kurt Welch bowling over Orioles second baseman Bill Greenwood in the ninth inning. It was a tie game. Thousands of fans run on the field and they're like, arrest this man or worse. Police come on, they intervene. Welch is taken away. 
to safety because, and the Browns who were home, I guess their pitcher, Dave Fouts, who's a Baltimore native, or maybe they were on the road. I don't know. I don't understand. Uh, the Browns <laughs> is going way too far back for me. Browns right. is football for me, but exactly. he's talking to the crowd, addressing them being like, yo, we got to calm down here. And there's still apparently a mob of protesters at the train station preventing Welch from leaving town. He has to attend a court hearing the next day. Greenwood pleads in his favor, stating it was just a baseball play, even though some of the Orioles fans want to see criminal charge. So it was a home game for Baltimore for the Orioles. Yeah. And the Browns keep Welch out of the next game so that, you know, dramatic thousands of people. Again. I mean, that's, you know, that's not, you know, baseball etiquette, you know, later on. I mean, <laughs> at that point, it must have been. It was more uh, kind of football etiquette. Or, or it's not more in like prison, a soccer, all these fans right now. It's more like a, a soccer game in, yes. you know, in, in, in uh, Madrid than anything else. Hooligans rushing the field. Yeah, that <laughs> stuff doesn't happen anymore. Nah, I mean, the closest goodness. we have to anything like that these days is more on the friendly side of fans in yeah, college be like, still storming like, when there's an upset, you know, the storming the football field or, or, you know, it's or unless you got, taken down. unless you got, unless you got the Phillies and the Red Sox playing against each other in a world series. I mean, uh, Oh, I digress. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, Nick Swisher took up too much time, so we can't go there. Oh, luckily. Oh, we do have time. We always have to make time for where are they now? One of the baseball alums doing something big in the world these days. And, and this one is a teaser. Okay. Because we're going to yeah. talk to him coming up. I don't know when, Gotta but be sometime our, in the next, I would say look guests. out for him in the next, like maybe two to four weeks or so, but, but it's a promise on his end on ours, Kenny Lofton, the great Kenny Lofton also I mean, coming off Swisher, a fun interview, great guy to talk to. And He's looking to do things differently. I mean, he's into collectibles and which I'm into uh, NFTs. So we'll get a little bit of a NFT breakdown from Kenny Lofton, who's going to explain it in layman's terms for everyone, which I think will be very helpful because it's very popular in the young baseball community. And no surprise, you know, that he's kind of leading the the way in that because he was definitely a team leader kind of guy in his days with the Cleveland Indians, a leadoff hitter who kind of set not only the table, but also even in the clubhouse. He was I remember him being one of those type of guys. So uh, no surprise that he's trying to do something out of the box and creative to 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 help uh, other players, too. Yeah, I'm going to let Kenny Lofton kind of explain the project. And also, I'm just thinking about how we spoke recently with Sean Green. You can go back and listen to that episode and any others as well. Big name guests every week. So you're missing out if you don't. Sean Green, though, very involved in tech as well. And we'll, you know, next week we'll uh, we'll be covering, uh, you know, Father's Day too. So yes. we'll talk a little bit about that. It'll be uh, on uh, Father's Day coming up this, uh, this coming weekend. So it'll be, we'll have a, something special for that too. Coming off of Father's Day weekend will be nice. So for now, the Legends Lounge is closed. See you soon. The Legends Lounge podcast is brought to you by Major League Alumni Marketing. Hit us with questions or comments at legendslounge at mlbpaa.com. Check out our memorabilia at mlamauthentics.com. Later, Legends. Legends.